Okay, well, we are in the midst of a series called The Gift, The Spirit and the Church. And this is a series about just that, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, and then in turn, the gift of the church to the world. And today, we're going to be starting to look at the Spirit's work in the church. This is going to be part one of our look at that. And when I mentioned that, the Spirit's work in the church, I want to ask a similar question to what I asked last week. I wonder what comes to mind for you when you think of that. It might be that this is all a bit of a mystery to you, and so you're not sure what to think. You've heard of the Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Ghost, and the whole thing sounds pretty mysterious, so you're not sure what the work of the Spirit would be. Or maybe if you grew up going to Sunday school, you might think of the fruits of the Spirit. I know our son Dorian back at the the church that we served at in Quebec, when he started going to Sunday school, there was a song that would often be played, and I remember hearing it on many Sundays. It went something like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Something like that. Sorry, I just had to snap there to get, get the rhythm going. But there's that. You might think of the fruits of the Spirit. Or if you're maybe from a charismatic background, maybe a Pentecostal background, you think about the visible manifestations of the Spirit. Things like speaking in tongues or healing miracles, that sort of thing. Well, as I've been thinking about this, how to approach a discussion on the works of the Spirit, before we move into some of those more specific things, I wanted to take a step back and look at it a little bit more from the big picture on the Spirit's work. Because the really, I guess, important thing and interesting thing is when we look at the passages on, say, the specific works, like the fruits and the gifts, we find that there's this frame that's there, this this general frame about the the general Spirit's work. And and it goes like this. Hear, Hear me out here to see what I'm talking about. So in Ephesians 4, where we get this discussion of the different roles in the church, the different callings, things like pastor and apostle and and teacher and those sorts of things. Paul starts out by saying, live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. Or in the passage in Romans 12, which talks about the various gifts of God for the church, including prophecy and helps and things like that, Paul, again, starts out more in general, and he says, present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Getting into this idea of us giving our whole selves over to God for transformation. And when we look at the fruits of the Spirit passages, like Galatians 5, this general theme is there as well. Right in the middle of it, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. A way of life is mentioned. Ephesians 5.1, another fruit of the Spirit passage, says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live in love. That starts off the conversation. And of course, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, where Paul talks the most about the manifestations of the Spirit, right in the middle of it, right in the core of it, is the famous passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul boils it all down to living a life of love, that everything needs to come from love. 
So all of this, when you bring these passages together, we start to get a bigger picture that points to a characteristic way of life and a way of being that the Spirit wants to make happen, that the Spirit wants to shape into the church. And we're going to explore that this week. We're going to explore what that looks like, and also we're going to explore our part in all of that. And we're going to see that a way of characterizing this bigger picture is that the Spirit is concerned with the character of the church. The Spirit wants to work into the church that really the character of God, the character of Jesus. And each of us has a really important role to play in that. So that's it. That's kind of the big discussion today, that the Spirit wants to shape the character of the church. And in a lot of ways, we've been hinting at this leading up to today, I mean, in, in week two, where we were talking about the, the purpose of the church and the purpose of the church to be a witness to Jesus, and we were looking at Acts and what the early church looked like, we saw how there the, the Spirit was shaping the community, and they were behaving in really <laughs> remarkable ways towards one another. Also, last week, when we were looking at the different pictures of the church, they again point to the idea of a shaping, of a character shape that's going on. We think about the picture of the, the temple, the church as God's temple. You can imagine that the Spirit's building the church to represent God then. Or the picture of the church as the body of Christ. We need to look like Christ. <laughs> and it all really, at the end of the day, makes sense. If we're going to be witnessing to Jesus, then we need to look like him. We need to act like him. We need to have his love, his character. Because it needs to be an authentic thing. It can't just be a surface thing. It can't just be a Sunday thing. It needs to be an all week long thing, a 24-7 thing. And, and actually, and important for today too, it can't just be an individual by individual kind of disjointed thing. It's a community thing. And when you realize that, when you start putting all that together, you realize that this isn't something that we can do from our own resources. This isn't something that if we just get the right kind of organization going, it'll happen. No, we're talking about the character of God in us. That's something only God can do, hence the need for the Spirit. And by the way, to give us some context, this is something that God's always been about. He's always wanted to shape people, to, to bear his image, to be like him, to love like him. We think of the creation of humankind, we were created in his image. And if we go back to Abraham, we talked about this in week one, Abraham's rescue mission started, the desire was for Abraham to exemplify blessing, which meant exemplifying God, <laughs> that Abraham and his descendants would look like God and would love like God. And we fast forward a bit too into the Israelites and the gift of the Torah or the law, which includes the Ten Commandments, but the Torah is kind of the big sense of the law. And that gift was all about shaping God's people to, again, represent him, to behave like him, to look like him. We see that actually in a very key passage in Deuteronomy 6, which is referred to as the Shema. And there it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's verse 4. And then verse 5, You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, 
your whole being, and all your strength. And the NET translation right above that, the headline for it, it says that this is the essence of the covenant principles. We see that and we realize that God has never been about surface things. He's never been about people just kind of following rules and regulations. He's always been about the whole person, the whole community, the mind, the body, the heart, the soul, all of that. He wants to shape us according to his love, according to his character. But quick history lesson, if you read through the Old Testament, you realize that people kind of in their, on their own strength, they weren't able to get there. Just by trying to live by the Torah, it, it wasn't possible. In other words, the Torah pointed to the ideal, but it couldn't bring people there. And that's where we bring in the Holy Spirit. Because what the Torah pointed towards, God's character, God's righteousness, in other words, the Holy Spirit makes possible. That's the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee puts it this way in God's Empowering Presence. He says, The goal of the Torah, God's own righteousness, reflected in his people, is precisely what the Spirit can do, which Torah could not. So in the words of our series, one of the great gifts of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, is the gift of God's righteousness, the gift of God's character to the church. In other words, the Spirit is transforming the church to be Christ in the world, to, be, to carry God, Christ's love, to carry God's character in the world. So then, now that we've had a chance to kind of see the, the, the Spirit's work in general there, the question, the big question is, what's our role in this? You know, what kind of, um, what do we need to keep in mind here in what the Spirit's doing? Because we want to see this happen, right? And actually, this brings us into an area that I love that's near and dear to my heart, but it brings us into the realm of, of Christian ethics, actually. That's exciting for me, maybe not as exciting for others, but we're talking about way of life here. We're talking about how to live well, how to do good, and all of that, which brings us into ethics. And many of you know by now that I'm a philosophy student, and I love studying ethics. It's something I've studied moral philosophy for quite a number of years, taken a lot of courses on it, and if we were to look at that, if we were kind of like to bring some of those things together, and if you were to take an intro course to ethics, you'd see that really there's kind of like the big three when it comes to the focus of ethics, of um, moral philosophy. Um, the first would be to focus on the consequences. It's the idea that, okay, we got to make sure we produce good consequences in some way. The second one would be focused on duty. It's kind of like we need to carry out our duty. That's the important thing. Or in another sense, we need to carry out the right laws. We need to focus on the right laws and that sort of thing. The third big one is that we need to focus on the character. We need to focus on virtue. And each of those have a lot of truth to them. And they kind of they come together to say something really important. But if we're looking now at Christian ethics, <laughs> what, we, what we would learn from our conversation so far and, go, and kind of going forward today, we see it's a pretty unique one. Because practically speaking, Christian ethics would be 
focus on the Spirit. Focus on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's our job. That's our role in this. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Christian ethics is a focus on the Spirit. And I mean, if we were digging into this, there's certainly a background to this where Christ makes this possible, where Jesus is our model, our teacher, our guide. But practically speaking, in the here and now, the gift of the Spirit is that we focus on the Spirit to, to see God's character get fleshed out in our midst, in our community. So, on the day-to-day, -day, we need to live by the Spirit. So what does that mean then? <laughs> That's where we're getting into kind of the million-dollar question. And I would say that there's three main ingredients, at least three main ingredients that I would point to in helping guide us and helping us understand what it means to live by the Spirit. So I want to take some time to look into those today. And briefly, what I would say that they are is that we trust the Spirit, that we are led by the Spirit, and that we focus on the community. That would be kind of the big three in my mind in living by the Spirit. So let's take a look at those. Let's take a look at each of them. The first one is trust the Spirit. Because here's the thing, right? The Spirit is active. The Spirit is powerful. It's not just like an impersonal force or energy in the world. No, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity in our midst. So we need to trust in that, and we need to trust that the Spirit has this incredible power to do this in and through us, that the Spirit can do all of what we've been talking about. Trust that that's true. And, you know, that's the thing. If I think about my own context as an illustration, right, our kids, they trust that me and that my wife are always at work. I mean, they don't even really think about it. They, but they like the results. They trust in it enough to trust in the results, right? They trust in the home that it brings, to trust in the food that it brings, the presents that it brings, and all of that. They like the results of it. And that's kind of it. We're trusting that the Spirit is at work to produce <laughs> these things in our lives and in our community. And it's also important to remember that those specific works of the Spirit, right, the metaphors that are used, fruits and gifts, that points to something so crucial. Because these are, you know, these point to the fact that, again, we can trust the Spirit on this stuff. It doesn't come down to our own special skills. It comes down to the Spirit. I mean, you think of the metaphor of a fruit, and let's take an example of, uh, of a vineyard, of a grapevine, right? The grapevine produces grapes um, just by being a grapevine, by doing its thing. It's, the fruit is the natural outcome of a grapevine being a grapevine. <laughs> and so just soaking up the nutrients, soaking in the sun, it produces fruit, that's not something that the grapevine had to figure out in its own power. The, the grapevine didn't have to take a long pause and kind of gather all its resources and figure out ahead of time how is it going to produce fruit and it wouldn't produce it if it didn't figure that out. No, it's, it just happens. And that parallel is there for this, the church. As the church lives by the Spirit and trusts in the Spirit, then the fruit comes. 
that's kind of the natural outworking of it. Also, the metaphor of a gift, that's really key as well. That doesn't point to us having to figure it out. It points to the Spirit doing the really key, important stuff that maybe we don't even understand. Because I think about the example, our daughter just turned three uh, this past week, and we just had a, we had a birthday party for her in our house, just, just me and my wife and, and, uh, and our son for her with some cake and some presents, with some gifts. And there's a, that helps me to remind myself of how the Spirit works, because Morgan didn't have to work for those gifts. Morgan didn't figure, have to figure that out on her own. I mean, can you imagine how that would go if we sat Morgan down before her birthday, we opened up the laptop to Amazon, and we said to her, hey, Morgan, here's what we'd like you to have for your birthday, but the thing is, you got to figure out how to get that for yourself. Can you imagine we did that? That's no longer a gift, and plus, she's three years old. There's no way she's figuring that out. <laughs> no, the thing is, we love her, and we want her to celebrate her birthday, you know, so we did all those steps <laughs> to give her the gift. <laughs> she just needed to accept it. And I see the parallel there again with the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, especially when we are new to the Spirit, new to Christianity, we're like that three-year-old stage. We don't understand the spiritual workings of all this stuff, but the Spirit does. So the Spirit doesn't say, okay, here's what I want you to produce. Figure that out for yourself. Thank goodness, no, it's a gift <laughs> from God. It's gifts from the Spirit. That all reinforces this idea that a key part of our living by the Spirit is trusting the Spirit, especially trusting that the Spirit is at work and powerful to achieve these things in our communities, in our church. So that's the first trust. The second one would be that we um, are led by the Spirit. And here, there's some key things for us to do. First off, I would say a key thing is letting go, surrendering. That's a big aspect of this. To be led by the Spirit means we're going to need to kind of let go of some things. Let go of maybe the plan that we had. Let go of maybe the thoughts that we had about how we should order our lives. And we're kind of surrendering that to the Spirit. And by the way, a lot of the Christian life, I'm realizing, comes back to that. Comes back to letting go. Comes back to surrendering. And that surrendering process, though, it's not a, a, a super, like, one where we just kind of magically do it. No, there's, there's steps there, too. It's an active, excuse me, it's an active surrendering process. And there, I would point to three key parts to the surrendering the first thing for us to do there, surrendering means prayer. Being led by the Spirit means prayer. You read the works of the Apostle Paul and you see that he was a man of prayer. It's like he never stops praying the way that he talks, that he prays continually. And the Spirit-led life is a prayerful life. Being in God's presence and all of that, we need to be in communication with with God. That's all that prayer involves. Secondly, we need to read. We need to read scripture. And others have put it, you know, some have put it that we soak in scripture, that we eat scripture. We really make it a part of us. And, uh, you know, 
I would love in the future for us to do maybe more of a series on how to kind of read Scripture and apply it to our lives. But here I would just say in general that Scripture has like a heart to it. Scripture has a character to it. And, and we need to keep reading it, digesting it, soaking it in so that we can get to that and allow that to shape us. Part of that is kind of seeing the big picture of Scripture, the big storyline of what God started out doing and where things are headed and what he's doing in the meantime and kind of seeing that really in a good way and a, and a, and a um, helpful way, that whole big picture. But it's also, I mean, when we talk about the heart and the character of Scripture, we're talking about Jesus. So it's really finding Jesus in Scripture and, and letting that shape us. So prayer, reading, and lastly, that we need to listen. We need to listen if we're going to be led by the Spirit. The Spirit wants to speak to us. The Spirit wants to guide us. And there, I would say that, you know, the Spirit talks to each of us often in different ways. So sometimes it can be hard, I know, because we can kind of compare to each other and we kind of think that, okay, they are hearing from the Spirit in this way, so maybe that means I should be hearing it that way, but I'm not. So, you know, maybe something's wrong here. But no, I think it's more like, you know, how we all have different learning styles. We all have different ways that we learn. Well, the Spirit knows that, and the Spirit's very creative very capable of speaking to us and teaching us in a way that's really going to hit home for us. So don't worry about what's going on with others. Just zero in on the Spirit and the Spirit will, will communicate if you're kind of willing to slow down and listen. It also means Scripture again. The Spirit will speak through Scripture. So listening and kind of reading Scripture, soaking it in, goes hand in hand. And listening also, it brings us back to the community because often God will speak through community into our lives, through those who we trust, those that love us. God will kind of speak through. You'll kind of notice that, okay, this person's kind of noticing this. This person's noticing this. And this seems to be more than just coincidence that they're sharing these things with me that are lining up. You know, things like that where God will speak through people to help guide us. All of that, I think, goes into being led by the Spirit. So that's the second one. So we've got trust the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and the third one is focus on the community. So Jesus, in the amazing scene with his disciples before his arrest, in the Gospel of John, uh, he teaches his disciples this. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. At the end of the day, the Christian life is about togetherness. It's about community. It's about family. It's about kind of each person kind of doing their part to build up the community, to come together and love the community. And so the New Testament, Jesus as the guide, and then all throughout the different writers of the New Testament, they keep placing that focus back on others, back on the community. And so they talk a lot about loving one another, about forgiving one another, being kind and gentle with each other, being slow to anger, all of that. And, and Paul really kind of summing it up 
in Philippians 2, a real famous passage, one that I kind of keep reminding myself of. 2, 3 to 5, he says, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. And if you're going to err on one side or the other where you're kind of thinking of yourself as higher than others or thinking of them as higher than you, he's saying like err on the side of treating others as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. Paul really is paralleling what Jesus taught there. But the focus then is on the community. That's that, I'd say, a crucial third part of living by the Spirit. And the idea that I could see from this is that in all of this, as we're living by the Spirit through trust, through being led, through focusing on others, that makes possible the Spirit's work in us. That makes possible the Spirit's kind of filling us and shaping us to look like God. To bring us the, in us the character of Jesus and the love of Jesus. And the thing is, this is a holistic transformation that's happening here. In Romans, there's some key stuff about this. Romans 5, 5, Paul says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then Romans 12, 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. In other words, this shaping, this transformation, it's a holistic one. It's heart, it's mind, it's our whole person, it's our whole community. And when we are living by the Spirit in this way, trusting for this holistic transformation, then we'll exhibit these more specific things that we talked about um, and that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. We'll, we'll exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. We'll exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we'll exercise the gifts of God, the manifestations of the Spirit for the building up of the body. Overall, we'll be unified, if we're bringing in some themes from before, in our diversity, from our diversity. Overall, we'll be the body of Christ with Christ as our head. Overall, we will be the temple of God and we'll look like the family of God. Great. So we're going to leave off there. We're going to finish off now. And to sum up what I've been saying, we've been taking this big picture view of the Spirit's work in the church and we talked about how we can think of that as the fact that the Spirit is concerned with the character of the church. The Spirit wants to shape us into God's character, into the character of Jesus. And so the Spirit makes possible that kind of transformation. And this happens when we live by the Spirit and when we focus on the Spirit. By trusting, by following, and by focusing on others. That's the big picture and really the foundation of the Spirit's work in the church. And why we started with this 
is because I know that moving into our discussion on the fruits of the Spirit, and especially the gifts of the Spirit, things can get kind of complicated, kind of confusing pretty quickly. I mean, I've been studying this for many years, and now I've, dive, I've dove, into, dive, dove, dove into it again, and my head has been spinning at certain points. I mean, the questions kind of come pretty quickly when you're reading through this stuff, and especially when you kind of read through different sources. Like, how many gifts are there, for instance? Or like, what do they mean? What, what are the gifts? How can we understand them? Because Paul doesn't say a whole lot about them. Or how, how will I know my gift? Can I have more than one gift? How many gifts can I have? How do they connect to my natural gifts? And all of that stuff. The questions kind of multiply really quickly. So there's really a possibility for a lot of confusion there. But I think that starting with this bigger picture puts us on a really solid foundation. Really to start to discuss those things. A foundation where I think those other things will kind of flow more naturally. The reason why we're starting out with this overall view of the Spirit's work is because I think it's the safest grounds for our discussion of the work of the Spirit. If we focus on living by the Spirit with an eye toward the community for the purpose of witnessing, of being a witness to Christ, then we're on solid ground. And really, a lot of those questions start to take care of themselves. The fruits and the gifts, they become just that, fruits and gifts that we don't really need to worry about getting our minds completely around. We can trust. We can trust the Spirit to do the Spirit's thing. But the flip side of that, there's a danger then, right? Because when we move away from that solid ground, that's where the danger lies. So there, the danger comes when we start to take the focus off the Spirit and we put it more on ourselves, maybe on our own ingenuity, maybe on our own brilliance and strength and all of that. That's where a danger lies. And I've been there more than once in my life where I've had the Spirit really check me majorly, showing me that, yeah, I've taken my focus off of being led by the Spirit. Also, um, the, another danger lies when we take the focus off of the community and put it more onto ourselves and each as individuals. And that's a real threat as well, especially because kind of individualism is really our go-to. That's kind of what we know best in our culture, right? And I'm being honest, I know I've kind of grown up in a teaching around these things that was quite individualistic. But there's a danger when we take our focus off of the community and we start making it more about kind of our own individual salvation projects and our own individual kind of thing with the Spirit. So there's a danger there as well. But when we stay on this solid ground of living in and by the Spirit, then we're in a safe space. And the Spirit will work, producing in us the character of God. Great. Let's pray together before we end off today. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you again as we concentrate on the Holy Spirit. I thank you for this amazing gift of the Spirit. And today, this gift of, of your character in our community. That's a really beautiful thing to think about. 
that you didn't leave us to our own devices, but you want to help us to be shaped to look like you, Jesus, and to act like you, to think like you, and to love like you. That's an amazing thing. And in that, we can see how the church then is such a gift to the world. So help us, I pray. Help each of us to do our part in living by the Spirit. And overall, as a community, help us as a community to live by the Spirit. To trust in you, Holy Spirit, to work and to be led by you. And also to keep that focus on the community. To keep that focus on loving one another. Please help us in this Holy Spirit. We know that we can't do this without your help. We know that this is all only possible because of you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.